Hello, this is Dan Kalak, member of the Palma Band of Lusanio Indians and the Chief Medical Officer for Indian Health Council over the past 19 years. Miyum. May we all wonder and be blessed by the energy created by the life around us, perpetuated and created from our ancestors and their ancestors for time immemorial. We recognize the Creator's hand is all that we see, feel, think, and do here on Earth and in our short existence. We treasure our time together and we wish each other peace, happiness, and long life. For love, health, time is all we have here on Earth. We relish our bodies, minds, spiritual being, and our consciousness, drinking in our reality with the ones we love and making a good place for our people is paramount. For our Earth, our animal brothers and sisters on Earth, the ocean, the sea, and the unseen that share our space, we treasure your existence. For our children we love, live, and last one more day, if not for ourselves, but for our generations to come forever now on Earth and to the universe end. Michonne Lovick. Welcome to the Indian Health Council What About Life podcast. I'm your host, David Dawson, multimedia coordinator here at the Health Center. Joining me today is the PEI team, George Pohas. Hello, hello. Get close to that mic, George. I can't hear you. Do you, you want to hear, hear yourself? My, okay, I, I'm breathing conscious today. <laughs> okay. We have a, we have a, we have an outside guest, so I, I'm extra cautious when we have special guests on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and then we've got Maria Villegas. Hi guys. Hello, Hi, Maria. And joining us uh, from Cal State University San Marcos is Jolie Proudfit, PhD. Hello, Jolie. Hi. Hello. Hello. I don't know if you guys are aware, but we're in the presence of somebody who's actually shaken the hand of an American president. Really? Ooh, yeah. So I was what? reading. I was just. What does that feel like? <laughs> yeah. I was glancing over a bunch of the notes that you sent over, Dave. And did you actually meet the president? I did. I did. Um, I'm happy to say my presidential appointment was under President Barack Obama. So I met one of the cool ones, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> And if you ever come to my office at the California Indian Culture and Sovereignty Center, you'll see my appointment, which is this really cool document. It's in this big, giant frame, and it's signed by the president and the secretary of state, who at the time was John Kerry. And as much as I respect and love John Kerry, I had hoped to have been appointed appointed a few months earlier because it would have been signed by Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. So that would have been like a double coolness, wow. you know, first woman, first well, we thought she was going to be the first woman president at the right. time. But yes, I did meet Barack Obama. Um, pretty um, excited about that. And, you know, I, I have to say I did cry when I met, when I met him. I was pretty excited. And it just kind of humbled me, um, you know, to see a person of color at that high level. So it's that's pretty cool. Well, so I'm Dr. Jolie Proudfit. I'm the director of the California Indian Culture and Sovereignty Center at Cal State San Marcos and the chair of American Indian Studies. Um, I'm a descendant of the Pachanga Band of Luceno Indians. Um, my family line, I'm a, um, a Nyesicat, a Flores. I come from a long line of really strong Native women. And... Um, 
I'm, you know, I'm just really happy to be able to give back and to serve in this capacity as a, as an educator. And so I recognize that as a California Indian, it's, um, we shouldn't be here. You know, technically they almost wiped us out. And so uh, every day of our existence, there's a part of like, you know, making a way and a path forward for the next generation and to, to give back. So I'm, I'm a person that really believes in service. And I've been a professor for 28 years. I've been tenured three times in the California State University system. I started my career at San Francisco State, where I chaired the American Indian Studies Department. Then I moved to Cal State San Bernardino, where I was the um, program creator and director of a master's program in tribal government mass um, tribal government management and leadership. And then I finally was able to come home to Cal State San Marcos, which is on the homeland of the Pankawicha Moose and your people. And that's always where I wanted to be. But when I got out of grad school some 30 years ago, um, it was the campus had just started and had already done all their hiring. So I had to sit that one out for, for a good few years. And in the meantime, I, you know, I had my career at other places. And so I will retire at Cal State San Marcos. And I have the good fortune to live, work and play on the homelands of my ancestors. Um, and, and, you know, that's where I'm at. Um, we have the largest American Indian student population per capita of any university in the state of California. Um, location, location, location one, but if you build it, they will come. We have, because we're a fairly new campus, um, and a young campus, we have a native advisory council that has been advising that campus since 2005. We had the first, um, uh, honorary doctorate given to a California Indian person, which was given to the late Henry Rodriguez um, from La Jolla. Jolla. Um, We have, again, the California Culture and Sovereignty Center. We have a very large and expansive American Indian Studies Department. We have 14 Native faculty. We have, you know, Natives advising the president in various capacities. We have the first ever tribal liaison. So truly, if you build it, students will come to your campus. And so that's a little bit about kind of where I live and nest and, and work and the people that I work with. And so today I'm at home. I didn't make it to, to campus because I've had Zoom since 7 a.m. back to back. Um, and sometimes there's not even enough time to get in the car or put makeup on. Um, but I'll be at the campus tomorrow to meet with the students. And it's a pretty thriving center. So if you've never been to the California Indian Culture and Sovereignty Center, I, I invite people to come on down. Tuesdays and Thursdays are probably the liveliest, but we're always there. Uh, I actually had a chance to uh, uh, read through your guys' uh, uh, newsletter slash like guide. It's been over at Valley Center High School. There's a couple stacks of them. So uh, I was looking through that and all those beautiful natives you have representing inside that. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty, pretty nice piece of work. And uh, um, um, I know some of them uh, uh, and, and uh, it's kind of cool. Really good job with that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, You know, a little bit about me. I own a PR marketing and advertising firm. So I really believe in marketing and messaging. Um, I'm a big proponent of um, nothing about us without us and FUBU for us by us. Right. So the best messengers and storytellers are our own people. The best recruiters to campuses are our students. That way, you know that they're telling the truth. Um, I don't believe everything universities tell me, right? I, I'm, I, I'm, show me, show me, invest in my students, invest in our programming. And so this was something that we created with a grant from the Cal State system 
and um, we featured our native students. And so we'll be updating this because we've had we have more faculty to add. We have more students. Um, you know, we're always kind of changing it up. But this is for not only our current students, but for future students. And it's just I'm a big believer in making beautiful things because then they get used. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We do things digitally because we know students love stuff digitally. But when you make a pretty product like this and people use it, they fill it out. They're like, OK, how do I how do I write a letter to my professor and how do I write a resume? And, you know, what are the etiquettes of knowing how to be a good student on campus? If I knew then what I know now, and that's the best thing I could do. It's like, I'm the first person in my family to graduate from high school. So all the things that I learn and all the little nuggets of information, I try to pass it and pay it forward. I think that's really awesome because it is, it is true when you're the first person in your family to progress into higher education or into a, into a corporate job or whatever, like you are literally paving the way for the people who come behind you and to create something that can help those who are doing it for the first time within their families out by giving them something that's a familiar culturally relevant to what they're going through and what their experience is going to be i think that's fantastic yeah it's a beautiful book right thank you and we should just make it easier right for everyone that comes after us it's like why would you make someone jump through hurdles when they don't have to it's like just tell them (laughs) tell them the shortcut and i think that's what I mean, like I said, when I started out, you know, the fact that as a California Indian person that we're still here and, you know, some of us are doing really um, awesome things and in leadership roles, um, think about what our ancestors had to do for us to be here. So if if that means I have to create a pretty colorful booklet, then that's an easy thing I can do. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. uh, I I think one thing that I noticed uh, out of it is that we actually know some of the kids in there or the young, young adults in there. And, um, it says, Oh, wow. They, their native club actually has natives in it, which most, most native American clubs have native Americans in it, but when they're not from the area or, or when they're not, they start questioning, are they native? Are they from here? Or they're not representing our area. So, um, we part, a big part of, of the recruitment with my kids and picking their schools is, is the native club. And do they know about the, Poyokuichan people and and are they familiar with their tribe and do they have people that can support do they have are they tied to the services when it comes time to get help and things like that um, or is it just going to kind of be general and are they just getting a club in there just for the sake of having a club in there um, and and that's a big part of, of the recruitment and then picking their schools so seeing oh, see, seeing the your guys is uh, your, your guys is um, uh, manual in there and we see a lot of kids that we know and it's a real center, right? With real faculty, you know, you yeah. have a you have real professors that are native that have lived experience that look like them that have shared ancestry with them. Um, that's super important. I know when I was coming up, I did my undergrad at Long Beach State, and I'm so old. You know, I'm way before casinos, right? And when when the Indian Club and I was a part of the Indian Club there. And they would, you know, people would ask, like, what, you know, tribe you were. And they'd be like, what? Where's that? Yeah. Like, you know, it's only an hour away. But, right, like, right. they had not heard of it because we weren't from movie tribes like Lakota and Sioux and Apache and things like, you know, um, Navajo or um, things like that. And it was rough, right? Because you feel like, gosh, we're existing in the shadows. We're so impoverished. And then you go to these universities that are literally on our homelands and people are like, where is that? What's that? And right. how so much has changed. Right. 
like three decades. So yeah, I really, I believe that the students need to see people like them. Yeah, there's a there's a lot that we can go. I, I know we only have a short time, so you got everybody join in, or else I could take the whole time with, with this. Uh, well, I think uh, I think you have a unique perspective of, of 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 the three of us in this room, George, because you've got one daughter who's gone to college and mm-hmm. another daughter's getting ready to go to college. So, like, well, and and they are from La Jolla, and yeah. and 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 uh, I love my babies, and they're beautiful young ladies, and empowering them is you know, definitely my goal. So, so in a selfish way, I could ask tons of questions. So be please. selfish as much yeah. as you'd like, <laughs> Yes, please. <laughs> you know, but, uh, um, a lot of the stuff that you were sharing, um, is definitely the, the priority because, uh, um, uh, it's their time, mm-hmm. you know, it's their time and, and they've worked really, really hard. Uh, so I think taking the next step, it, it's important to really, uh, uh, look at the, the resources and, and, and big factors that come into it. Especially when when they when there is a lot of um, a, a lot of a lot of people have tr- blazed the trail already and made it easier, as you said. So let's take advantage of that. Let's use the resources that we have, but also let's also you know be proud of of who we are, who they are, and and understand that there's a huge responsibility to represent and to take it to the next step and and to, you know kind of guide them accordingly along the way and when I'm I'm not going to be there so I hope and I trust that the people that are taking them on to the next level are uh, uh are really all about it you know so so it's uh it's really important for me to hear hear this stuff and San Marcos actually did uh accept both of the kids and so I'm a big fan of San Marcos they didn't accept San Marcos but uh, it, right now is uh, uh uh um Today was actually what do you call it when when they pick, you know, when they pick their school, like a reveal, select yeah, re- selection day oh. at the high school, and so um, they didn't select, they didn't pick San Marcos, but I get uh, like there's certain schools that didn't accept the kids, so like it's like if you accepted my kids, I'm a big fan of your school, I love your football <laughs> team, I love your volleyball team, I love your baseball, and if you didn't, it's like oh, I hope you guys lose. They could be playing like badminton, oh, and well, it's where like are they going? well, well, TBD. The family oh, wow. reveal is Sunday. Oh, my uh, my oldest goes to San Diego State, and she's down mm-hmm. there with Jacob and uh, and David Camper and Isaiah Thompson. There's I mean huge advocates that have been instrumental. I mean yeah. from little things to helping uh, uh, resubmit uh, documentation to just having the room open and and uh, you know there's jokes that that we know and it just they feel like there's they feel like you know an extension of their home. And yeah. and then um, the the uh, my my middle daughter's picking from uh, Santa Cruz, San Francisco State, and Chico, and San Marcos is on the list. Um, but um, she said that she's gonna leave. So uh, with that being said, I think it's gonna be up north somewhere. So uh, yeah, but that's so great. We don't care where they go. We just care that they are well, successful wherever they go. We we and that they're supported. You kind of care where they go. <laughs> don't tell them I said that. But again, it goes back to what you're saying. Like having that support in these programs is really really important. You know, I, we went to go look at Chico, and they had a really small room for their Native studies, uh, and 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 but there was a lady in there, and right away she like referred to Paula, like right away she like found out where my girl, where my daughter was from, and and she like associated and like she made her feel like, hey, I know I know who you are, I'm Native, I, this is what it means to me, and the room was super small, but yeah, it was like 
it like the walls didn't exist because the kids made it so comfortable in there. There was food in there. Mm -hmm. They were telling jokes in there. There was like, they saw people with some color in there. It was like a little breath of fresh air. Like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of at home a little bit. And I think that's really, really important. Even though they say, oh, I'm not really going to use that. I think when they need it, it's there and super important, especially when kids are leaving home. Well, in the couple of students that we've got working here in our research and student development program, um, they've continually stated how important that connection at the universities that they've been to has been in their development and their comfort level of going through their studies and, and, and uh, making things happen for themselves. The, if we're talking about, you know, California Indians and, and, and looking towards their futures, um, you know, a lot of them come from relatively poor areas. You know, a lot of the reservations are, are, you know, some of them have casinos and there's some money, but then there's a lot, a lot of them that are kind of struggling to even see what their future is. What would, what would you say to a, a, a kid who's kind of struggling with the idea of, can I even go to college? You know, like it doesn't, it seems out of their reach, out of their grasp, but what would you have to say to one of them? I say that, and this is something I've been embroidering on every graduation stall, um, native graduation stall that I've had a hand in for 28 years. Education is the path to self-determination. And that's my motto. That's what I live by. And I like to pass that on to all young people because I don't care if you choose not to use your degree, but knowing that you've, you have that knowledge, no one can take that away from you. Knowing that you have that knowledge, you will be laid off, fired, terminated, priced out of a position, but you will know that you have the opportunity to get another job, right? When you have choices, when that's true self-determination and the best investment that our tribes and our people can make is in their own people, in themselves. And, you know, children who come from um, rough situations, impoverished situations, um, an unstable household, those are the kids that I really kind of gravitate towards because I grew up in a household of parents that were addicted. I was a ward of the court when I was 16. Um, you know, I was homeless, all of that. I went to continuation high school. I know it's hard to believe, but you know, it, it's funny because when I tell young people this, they're like, what, you know, and now you're a presidential appointee and you have dinners with these fancy people and you do this, that, and the other. And I'm like, look, and it, it's not, a lot of people say power is about beauty, bucks, or brains. And I say it's about education, character, and integrity. That's what I think it's about, you know, because um, all those other things are fleeting. And so, like I said, the best thing you can do is invest in yourself. So for young people, there's always an option. I found college because I needed a place to live. And the recruiter that came to my high school to talk to my best friend who was on a college path. He knew what he wanted to do. He had this really amazing family. He said, hey, cut class with me and let's go talk to this recruiter. Anything to get out of class, right, when you're in high school. So <laughs> I went with him and she was probably in her early 20s. I'd love to know who she is and, you know, really thank her for what she did for me because she asked me what I was going to do with my life. And I said I was going to join the military because I needed a place to live. And um, she says, well, you know, they have these things called the dorms and you can live in the dorms. And so she filled out my paperwork. And that's why I went to Long Beach State because of that lady. Like I had no one to ask, nothing to do. She did all the paperwork for me that afternoon. 
And that's how I got into that college. I was the very last person to move into the dorms. I didn't have pillows or sheets or I didn't know what you were supposed to bring. And I show up and my roommate, who's this white girl from Chicago, um, sees that I'm like, I come with like an overnight bag. That's it. And she's like, oh, good. I'm so glad you didn't bring any bedding because I have two sets of everything and I need to match. So she caught on very quickly (laughs) that I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And her little empathy kicked in and she's like, that's okay. I got us covered, right? And so I I didn't even know to be embarrassed because I had no idea what to expect. And then she said, do you know where your classes are? And I said, no, I hadn't been to campus or anything. Long Beach State's the size of a city, right? Oh, yeah. And so she goes, I'm going to take you to school tomorrow. I'm going to take you to class. I'll take you to your first class. And you wait there. I will go get you and I'll walk you to your next one. Wow. That's what she did for me. And had she not done that, I probably would have gotten so lost that I would have quit and given up and just, you know, my life would have been my life. And because of the kindness of others, so many opportunities. And so I I really encourage young people to never give up, to always um, be hopeful and to take those opportunities. If somebody opens the door, walk through it, be ready to walk through it. If somebody, if they don't open the door, go through the window, go around it, you know, go over it. And there's always those kind people. And in my life, most of those kind people that have been willing to assist and help have been teachers. So I'm a big proponent of education. I think it changes your life. I think it's an investment in yourself. It's something that no one can take away. And then lastly, I'll say for our, for our tribal kids that come from tribes that have limited resources, um, to never give up. There, there are opportunities. And then to our descendants. I'm a descendant. I'm not enrolled. And when you're not enrolled, you don't get to partake in a lot of benefits. Um, I say get your certificate degree of Indian blood stat, you know, so you can prove that you are who you are. Um, and, and we have to do better to take care of our descendants. We have to do better to move out of the identity politics so that we, um, make sure that we have a California Indian future to lean on. Wow. It's, um, it's interesting that you didn't even understand dorm life heading off to college. There's so many things we just assume that kids know, you know, who grow up in America, um, to not even understand that you could stay in a dorm going to college is kind of fu- a fundamental disconnect uh, right. in information that you could have used as a, as a, as a child um, to help you make those decisions. That's that's fascinating. Isn't that it's, it's crazy. My mom had a 10th grade education and my dad had a sixth grade education. But like we're literally talking about which college your daughter's going to go to. Right. So it's like how the future has changed. Now it's like, okay, you know, where are we going to go? But there's this family, um, there's this elder at Morongo, Ernie Siva, who I just adore and I love and I've known him for years and his sister Arlene. And they're probably, oh gosh, in their 80s, late 70s. But I did the first college fairs on tribal lands. Um, You know, I started doing them, I don't know, 17, 18 years ago. And and I did this really big one on Morongo and he and his sister both showed up and one wore their USC shirt. He went to USC and she wore her UCLA shirt. And I'm like, you guys went to USC and UCLA at their, you know, and given how old they are. And they're like, yeah, they're like, he's like, my mom said, you're going to go here or you're going to go here. Like she gave no option. So think about that. Like 80 years ago, this 
Morongo woman said to her children, you're either going to go here or you're going to, and they did, and they went there. And so Ernie runs um, a cultural center and museum um, named after his, you know, family, the Dorothy Ramon Learning Center in Beaumont. And it's just like, so when we can see it, we can be it, right? I fell backwards into it. I got lucky because of the kindness of strangers. And I want to make sure that our kids don't fall backwards into it, that they are ready, they're prepared, they have options, they have choices. So yeah, it should be a normal, like asking our children, where do you want to go to college? And if you don't want to go to college, that's fine too. Mm -hmm. What do you want to do and how can I help you get there? Right. What's the best best path forward? But I, I do believe, I've never met anyone that said, gosh, you know, going to college really was a waste of time. Just like I've never met anyone that says, learning my tribal language was completely useless. What I do hear all the time is, oh my gosh, I wish I would have taken time to sit down with my relatives to learn my language, right? So it's, when we know better, we do better. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, in your position there at San Marcos, are you seeing an increase in second generation, third generation college students from Indian families, or is it still kind of a lot of them are breaking ground uh, coming through? I, I still, for us, it's the majority are breaking ground. Um, but there are those notable, you know, families and um, moving away from intergenerational trauma to intergenerational success and excellence. Um, and I love hearing about those families. Um, one of my very best friends, for example, when I met her in grad school, um, she was she was taking a break from Stanford, and I was I did my doctorate at NAU in Flagstaff, and she was working in um, in in NAU um, taking a break, and she was just in you know university for so long she ended up being a high school principal and teaching at gray hills high school but ultimately went back to stanford and got her phd and now chairs the program at university of new mexico but i remembered her telling me that you know her mom had passed away but her mom was working on her doctorate when she died i said your mom was navajo and she was working on a phd like i'd never heard that <laughs> like i never knew a, na a native you know, but to hear like you're at Stanford and your mom was working on her, like that was so like, wow, like, are, you know, is our all Navajos like that? Like it was so not normal. But I have since met all these amazing people. My best friend is Pomo. You know, her sister was a tribal. She's a lawyer. Her sister was a lawyer and a tribal judge. Their dad was the first um, California, the first American Indian to be a California highway patrolman. Then he became a lawyer. Then he has an Institute at Berkeley named after him when he was alive. He's since passed, but um, their great, their grandmother's Chili Hardwick who took the Supreme court case to reinstate 18 of the California terminated tribes, like generations of like amazing, phenomenal, exceptional California Indians, right? Ernie and his sister Arlene and their mom, right? Like, but as a kid, I didn't have those people. I didn't know those people. And now you meet these families of like Dan Clack and Alec Clack and Dan's mom, like the super nurse who just like, you know, and the fat, like it's just so many families. So as, as many are the, there are these intergenerational trauma stories like mine, there are all these amazing success stories. So and I'm a I'm big in storytelling. I work in film and TV as well, and so I want people to see the beauty of Indian country, the humor, the um, 
you know, awesomeness of it. But I also understand the realities of the trauma that our kids go through. And sometimes it's good for young people to see that I know what it means to be homeless. I know what it means to, you know, um, not have parents there supporting me. And I know that that shouldn't be the deficit for for my uh, not succeeding. It's just it's just an impediment and there's a way around it. I like to say that in the end, your life is your story to tell. And like you get to choose where the chapters go. Right. Yeah. Like just because just because your story starts in one place doesn't mean it doesn't end up somewhere else. And that's really your story to tell and your decisions to make. Right. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. Guys, <laughs> I'm, I'm so, trying to take the back seat so Maria can talk about maybe you want to share some of yours. Do you do you relate a little bit about uh, your experience with with college a little bit or? Yeah, I think. A lot of what you're saying I can relate to. I was also a first-year college student as well. Um, Like nobody in my family, first generation out here, first one in my family actually born here in the United States. So it was a lot. I didn't have anybody to turn to and say, how do I fill out this college application? What is college? You know, my parents too, third grade level. By the time my mom, you know, started developing, it's like, nope, you can't go to school. You have to, they were called like field children. That's why people, you know, my grandparents had them, right, to work in the fields. So education was never something that was pushed on us, you know, so it is hard. It is hard when you don't have that support system. But like you, I guess I can relate. I had that support from friendly strangers, you know, who kind of helped me along the way. And whenever I felt like wanting to give up, it's like, no. For a reason, my parents came here. For a reason, I'm here, right? And so now I'm here, and I just like working with the kiddos <laughs> that we get to do, and you know, and hopefully try to give them the life skills that they need, and not need, but to like assist them wherever they need it, right? Well, just like can, I'm gonna hold your hand, and, and you get can you be there. that. I think we can be those helpful people that you guys right. met. You know, if it's not, you know, right. And I also wanted to add a comment about your book, which is super awesome. The one, you know, with the kids, because I remember we were out, I believe, in Palma. You know, that was something that they mentioned was they want something to be related to something around here from this area. So I did want to make that comment that I love that you use like your staff and everybody that's like around from this. Oh, sorry. That's everybody around from this area. So. Good stuff. Absolutely. No. Well, kudos to you for you Thank know you making, finding your path. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And you know, and that's the one great thing about education, right? It's it's it opens so many doors and so many opportunities. But the one responsibility we all have is making sure that everybody else has that opportunity to take and and just to be kind because mm-hmm. the kindness of strangers can really make all the difference in the world. And that's a lesson I struggle with too. You know, um, my, my mother is no longer, um, here. Um, but she used to, I move so fast. I'm always going, going, going. Um, and you know, I could be in the checkout line and be like, Oh, and she's like, you know what? Take a deep breath. You don't know what that salesperson is dealing with. You don't know what's happening in her family. Like she would like help me to, you know, remember it's not all about me. Right. It's just, I mean, because sometimes we just got to take a beat and go, okay, what, what's happening here? What's really, really important here. And you know, that's, I'm always, I'm always growing. I'm always learning. I'm always maturing and recognizing that finding out what's important, but you know, I, you know, and I try and relay that to my, 
my students, I only have one child, um, biological child of my own, but I feel like, you know, I, I'm mother goose. I have all of these children that I've had over the years and some of them, you know, can deliver my children now. Um, and some of them are, you know, done great things, but I always get a new crop every year. So it keeps me, you know, um, fertile in my, you know, kind of joy for, um, sharing information. And, you know, now I, I get to look forward to weddings and babies being born and, I feel like a, a just a forever grandmother. Yeah, forever. My, my grandfather was a teacher for 50 years in Indianapolis uh, public school system. And uh, yeah, it was the same thing for him. Like, you know, every child he was an educator of became someone he kind of tried to keep tabs on and know where they were at. And specifically, he was a musician, so he taught music. So, you know, he followed the success of all the students. He knew every college they went to and every symphony they ended up performing in. And he just took a, a really vested interest in, in knowing what their successes were after he worked with, with them in the, in the high school level. Um, yeah, you, 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 you love the kids, right? I mean, that's, that's, what that's it just comes how down it to. is. Yeah. I used to be an educator myself and that's kind of, I mean, you spent eight plus hours with these children, sometimes more time than their own parents that you just develop this like passion for helping each and every one of these children in your classroom. Right. So it's like, you just feel like not this, like a need to like, you know, I'm here for you, you know, but you do have your family, but know that you also have other support systems, right? Not just one. And I think that's also a very important thing. And, you know, school teachers or even here at the clinic, like there's so much support out there for, for other children. So it's good. Yeah. Do yeah. you think, um, have you, do you think that our kids like at the high school level are, are, um, let's, let's make this question positive. I think, do you think our kids, um, are at the starting line? Do you think our kids have an equal opportunity? Well, I have the data on that. So. Oh, yeah. nice. We like that. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. So, so I have the data on that. We produce at the California Culture and Sovereignty Center. We're a research center that works in partnership with tribes up and down the state um, for the culture and sovereignty of California Indians. And so one of our first big projects was to produce the State of American Indian Alaska Native Report for the state of California. Because the state of California wasn't keeping tabs and doing a report card on itself and what it did in terms of Indian education. And we did. But you, three... be- you better believe they wanted parents to fill out them Indian forms. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So we, we did um, three funded reports funded by the San Manuel Band of Mission Indians. And um, we had been soliciting the state and other organizations to fund, you know, subsequent years. And so the. Um, Cal State San Marcos uh, decided to fund our next report, which will come out in December. So with the data that we've been finding, we know that um, we have the lowest, unfortunately, graduation rates of any of any racial group of students in California. Right. Um, And but worse than that is that out of those graduates, um, it used to be one in four, but now it's a little bit better. it's a little bit less than one in four don't meet the requirements, the A through G requirements to get into college. So that means that even though they're graduating from high school, they're barely graduating and counselors and educators failed them 
Because if you're graduating and you don't meet the basic requirements to get into a CSU, somebody didn't advise you. And, um, and so we're working to correct that. And I work closely with the superintendent uh, of, of instruction for San Diego County, uh, Paul Gothold, who is an enrolled member of Sault Ste. Marie. Um, let me see, is he, what is not Sault Ste. Marie? He's an enrolled member of Le Couture, which is the uh, tribe in the uh, Anishinaabe tribe. And he came from a school district in Los Angeles where he saw a lot of this. His kids were barely graduating and they were graduating and they weren't ready. So he made all graduates graduate A through G ready. Right. So it was not an option. Like it wasn't going to take, like you weren't hoping that you were going to talk to the counselor and they're going to say, take this much science, math, you know, language. So I said, why can't we do the same thing here? And so he's making a hard push for the same thing here, but more importantly, he's invested in um, his um, leadership and staff. And so I work with a nonprofit called California Indian Education for All. I'm one of the founders of this organization, and we create free curriculum tools, teacher guides um, for teachers, for school counselors. We have a grant right now where we're going to be bringing in high school students from Valley Center, from the tribes closest to San Marcos. We're going to actually have transportation to bring them to the university for dual enrollment. Like they're going to be exposed to American Indian professors and taking classes. Because I know when we see a Native student who's taken a class with a Native professor for the first time, they're like, Right. Oh my gosh. Right. Give me more. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like getting an advice about about something like uh, you know, yeah, I hear you. I don't, I don't right. want to kill it, the analogy. It's like, uh, like sparking their interest in a <laughs> well, way. Well, right? when when somebody really understands you, it really yeah. motivates you. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's being seen and heard. You know, it's funny when I was in continuation in high school. I was only in there for one semester, so. Um and I had my first black teacher. And I learned so much from her. I learned that Cleopatra was black. And I was like, oh my gosh, what? You mean, because everything was taught from such a white supremacist kind of perspective. Like you just felt like there's no chance, right? And then she taught me like the person that invented the street light was a black man. Like she had this love for her community, her culture, and uh-huh. she was willing to share it with students. And I was just like, oh my gosh, what? You mean there are people of color that have done great things? And so when I was able to, um, you know, meet my mentor and get involved with Native um, academics and professors, it was it was mind blowing. And, you know, I had the good fortune to be mentored by Vine Deloria Jr. He served on my dissertation committee. I mean, that was my hero. Very few people meet their heroes and period. And very few people meet their heroes and they turn out to be everything they thought of and then some. And that happened to me. You know, so I'm I'm fortunate in that sense. And so I, you know, um, these are opportunities to just make sure that our high school students, especially around us, are best prepared, have all the options. And we just had Dream the Impossible at UCSD and where there were, you know, like upwards of like eight, nine hundred students, high school students from Southern California, tribal students about dreaming to go to college. And it moves around to different colleges and We've hosted it like four or five times on our campus. And it's just so good to see that this is just the norm for them, right? Like, what can we do to get them ready? And so I'm doing a lot of stuff to really fill in the gaps for um, 
our K through 12 students. And um, I'm working with San Diego County Office of Education, with Humboldt County Office of Education, and a number of other Native educators to write curriculum so that you know, children can see themselves in preschool and kindergarten, third, fourth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade. They don't have to wait for college. Um, you mentioned that you, you, you've you worked in the film and television world and you've got an interest in that. And talking about Cleopatra being black and, you know, uh, Jesus was a Middle Eastern man. Like yeah. uh, oftentimes those depictions are fed to us by Hollywood. Um, what's your feeling on how Hollywood's handling the native experience these days? I mean, obviously 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, it it wasn't terribly accurate and it certainly was, uh, borderline offensive, if not just outright offensive on many, many fronts. Um, how do you feel about the, the way Hollywood's treating the native American experience today? Cause there seems to be a lot more of it coming out now. Yeah, I've been teaching Native in film and TV for 28 years. You know, as long as I've been teaching, that's what I've been teaching. And people always ask me as a political scientist, why are you so involved in film and TV? I'm like, you don't think media is important to politics? <laughs> <laughs> I think people really see it now, right? How how critical. And it's powers and who owns your own narrative? Who owns your story? Telling your own story. And for Native people, our story has been told for us um, by others since they landed here, you know, and everything from false reports to the, you know, king and queen of Spain, so they can get more money and more troops to come here. People were making up stories about us, dime store novels to James Fenimore Cooper's, you know, the leather stocking tales or what people know as the last Mohicans has been made into a movie like 12 times. Right. Right. That basically set the tone for everything we see in Hollywood, which means global cinema just the stereotype from the Western, it's all built on our back, but without us. And and so what we're seeing now is that we're above the line, meaning writing, directing, producing, Um, we're able to shape our own narrative. So I think it's, you know, we've been experiencing um, some really wonderful opportunities. Of course, you know, reservation dogs, uh, Rutherford Falls, Smoke signals. It, it unfortunately got canceled, yeah. um, uh, uh, Dark Winds, and and the show that, that I work on, Spirit Rangers, which is a preschool show on Netflix, and our second season drops May 8th, Woo-hoo. and um, I have an exciting th- announcement to share with you and your audiences but oh, wow. um, about that. But, you know, so it's it's, I think Hollywood is seeing now that People are hungry for stories about different people. Mm-hmm. And I think for a long time, one Hollywood, you know, we don't need to belabor the red face and plain Indian stuff. Uh, everybody knows it's no good and that's what they were doing. But I think what we were hearing is we were taking stories out to pitch before the murder of George Floyd, because I've been, you know, also a producer and, and involved in um, bringing content to reality was, oh, you know, there's not an audience for that. Like there's this assumption that only Indians watch Indians. And I'm like, are you kidding me? People love us. They love to know about us. They want to know how we live, who we are. And mostly they want to know what they don't know, the contemporary stuff. And then after the, um, you know, horrific murder of George Floyd, the world kind of changed with people recognizing a racial reckoning. And while there's been a lot of opportunities, it's still slow and coming, but we've seen them. 
And so um, we recognize that we do have our storytellers. And I've been a big proponent of teaming people up with established um, folks. So we don't have to wait for, you know, USC film school or NYU film school to open up its door and l- let loose a bunch of native, you know, producers and directors. It's not going to happen. But what will happen is let's team up people who do know how to tell those stories with people who have been working in the industry and work to tell those stories. And we've seen that happening with like um, Rutherford Falls. I think half of their writing room was um, native and the other half was non-native, right? And it worked really well. Um, and in this, the show I work on, Spirit Rangers, we had over 100 native content creators, everything wow. from writers to um, um, underscore to music. I mean, just so many different performers. It's just been amazing. So I think we've proven that our stories are interested, are interesting. I think we've proven that we know what we're doing. We just have to be given the opportunity to have the shot to continue to make these and invest in these. And honestly, you know, we shouldn't be asked to, we shouldn't be seeking tribes to invest in this type of storytelling. Hollywood needs to invest in this type of storytelling. I have a lot of stories in me that I want to have told. I'm working on a number of projects that I hope get greenlit and are told because there's just so many awesome things. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very excited about featuring Native women. That's also a place that in you know a group that's important to me but i'm excited about spirit rangers and season two drops may 8th um but we did um allow one episode to go out for free out on youtube and i still have to um call up robert freeman's wife Mm -hmm. to let her know because i'm excited the episode on stink bug shishkala i think that's how you pronounce it um stink bug which the story was shared um um, by um, Wendy Schlater, who's the current chairwoman of La Jolla. And she told me the story, oh gosh, maybe 15 years ago. She sat next to me on the plane of Stinkbug. And when we were um, thinking about story plot lines for Spirit Rangers, I'm like, oh my gosh, we should animate Stinkbug. And so we don't take the verbatim story for story. We take elements of it. And the long story short of Stinkbug is that he acts stink. You know, he, he, he he's a little snot. And so what happens? Creator makes him stink, smell, right? So, and so in this, um, in this episode, you will hear the Pankawicham language. You will see stink bug. Um, but there's also, it's, there's a learning in there. And then you'll hear um, where one of the young um, kids wants to be an artist like Robert Freeman. So recognizing one of our um you know, a notable artist. And so I, I have, after this, I need to call his wife and let her know that this is out, but you're the first people I'm telling about this. And Yay. so well, thank you um, for I'm sharing for the world to see. Thank you. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. We'll, 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 we'll drop the link to that YouTube into the show notes for this episode for sure. We actually just had uh, well, I had an epiphany. I think uh, our, the topic for May is and uh, our outreach is mental health. And we were building our outline and, and developing some material or, or uh, looking around. And I remember I looked over to you and I was like, we need to, uh, the group. One of the groups we have is K through two. And I'm like, we should read them a story. And then Maria's like, 
well, yeah, <laughs> we, why aren't we doing that already? And I was like, oh my gosh, they love, they stories. love stories, you know? And, and I think the reason we have it is because I tell my nieces and nephews stories so much that I just do it at the top of my head. But, um, so, uh, but, but to read them a story, especially if they can recognize it and there's kids that look like them and there's, and there's animals that they recognize, you know, it's, it goes, I think they'll always remember those times, you yeah, know, yeah. um, just like any game you play or, or or you know heartfelt message you give them but um yeah we're definitely gonna get what is that the spirit rangers book oh that's the book so we have we have several that you can buy and we have more coming oh. so some of the episodes we've put them into books you can get them on amazon and oh, just, oh, nice. um, but this is pretty awesome our showrunner is um santa and shumash so this is the first ever tv series created by a california indian Mm-hmm. And um, with over a hundred uh, natives performers in it, and the three kids are native actors. The little girl is Hoopa, so she is a California Indian. Um, we worked really hard to make sure everything in here was authentic. But the stink bug one, I'm so excited for because that is our Pinkawichi story. And, and that's um, Netflix. That's Netflix. Okay, and then what's the age? Pre preschool. Oh, and how how long are the episodes? Eight minutes each. Wow, that is about as long as as they yes. can go. And then, is there like a lesson plan associated <laughs> with it? We know what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so if you, um, if you, I don't know if, if, if some of you remember the show. I was just more concerned topic. with myself. Like, do I have the attention to pay attention? Yeah, yeah can I go? Eat? <laughs> well, our executive producer is Chris Mee, who has um, worked with the Obamas and. Um, a number of kids shows, but she created Doc McStuffins, which was on oh, Disney, yeah. the little black um, girl who um, fixed her animals. You yeah. know, she's like a veterinarian. My, my nephews so, loved her. <laughs> it's a great. It's so funny because I know the theme song just because my daughter's 11 now. But when she was a little kid, we saw that and we would go into the pediatrician's office and they would sing that song together as they were doing the exam. But but Spirit Rangers is it's probably one of the um, projects that I worked on that I'm most proud of. We're hitting into season two. Another 20 episodes drop May 8th. Um, we have 20 episodes on Netflix right now. Wow. And you can that see some cool. episodes on kids YouTube for free. So, yeah, I mean, you know, there are great things happening. And we got to we got to support our, our creatives and our yes. showrunners and yes. all of that good stuff. Definitely. Yeah, we, when uh, I was looking for some books, it's kind of like, hmm, I, you go into the section search and you look, where are they from and, and or what are they talking about? Because uh, we definitely want to keep the stories as close to home as possible. I think it would just increase the the interest and the lessons would go a lot longer. But yeah, that's that's cool. We, we should look into getting those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Congratulations on getting a yeah. second season on Netflix. Yeah, definitely get the books. Uh, not, not everybody makes it out of their first season on Netflix. <laughs> Right. No, for sure. And, you know, since you're doing things with children and children's books, we do a series, California in Education for All, the California in Culture and Sovereignty Center in San Diego County Office of Education. We do it every year in May. And the next one's coming up. It's the Native Ways of Knowing um, Indigenous Conference. And that typically happens. Let me see if I can pull up the flyer for you. I want to say it's around May 22nd. It's two days. And um, what we do is we bring in these amazing children's book authors. And so Native Children's Book Publishing is off the charts. It's like 
there's such good stuff. Stuff's being turned into film and programs. And and um, this year, our keynote for the two-day conference is Krissa, the oh, showrunner. Wow. And she's going to wow. be talking about one of her books. But it's really great because we have the authors of the books talking and it's, you know, we make it available for free for anyone who wants to watch. And then we have a native book list. So you, we take in all the hard work. Um, we work with, you know, native content experts and um, best way for teachers to bring in native content into classrooms, especially when they don't know what they're doing is use this book. Don't use this book. Right. And so we've taken the hard work. Out right. Of that for you. Right. That's what was fantastic. the name of the conference again? Um, it's Indigenous Voices, Authentic Children's Literature in the Classroom and Library. It's May 23rd and 24th, 3 to 5 p.m. It's on Zoom. Oh. And I will yeah, can send you. Sh- you yes, please. Yeah, just email me that please. information. I'll, I'll, put okay. it, I'll put that in the show notes, too. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Well, you guys, do you have, uh, you have any wrapping up questions you'd like to ask? Well, I uh, just, yeah, I, you know me. <laughs> Don't ask me. That's why I asked you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I felt like we could uh, uh, we just graced the top. We just opened the lid. But I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. And yeah, I'd love to come back and chat with you about other things. We didn't even talk about the film festival that we do or, you know, so many of the other projects that um, we work on at the center and especially in the areas of research and things that we have upcoming. We have our um, our first annual American Indian Studies Research Symposium on Friday, May 12th, where we're going to be showcasing some of the research projects that our students are doing oh, wow. in the community. Nice. Um, research projects from our faculty, um, our upcoming report, and just, you know, having dinner and, and sharing a meal with our community and our students and our campus. And then, of course, our big graduation, which will be happening on May 19th. And I'm sorry I'm going to miss this one. I haven't missed a, a big graduation, I don't think, ever. But I'll be in Cannes um, at the film festival for um, the new Killer of the Flower Moon film. So um, so my colleague, Dr. Eric Tipiconic, will be running the graduation. But we like to invite the community to come out to watch our graduates get their Pendleton stoles especially young people because they see their cousins, right. you know, earning their degrees and, you know, um, and, and people celebrating them. And it's really important for them to see that um, this too can be them one day. And we've had like third graders, you know, who came to our graduation way back in the day and flash forward, they're now students. And they said they came because yeah. they saw their cousin yep. getting their stole and they wanted yep. to come here and get one of those stoles too. So if we can see it, we can be it, everybody. Yep. yep. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, I, I'm an independent filmmaker myself. Uh, oh, so really? I, <laughs> I definitely want to have you, you come on, on my other podcast <laughs> to talk about your film festival for sure. So uh, let's communicate after the podcast is done. For sure. Um, I'm board board chair for Vision Maker Media. So anything you see with native content on PBS, we produce it. So check out the current, um, I think on PBS right now, we have the um, documentary on Buffy St. Marie. Mm -hmm. And that's, she's the first native woman I ever saw on TV. She was on Sesame Street and she was the first woman to breastfeed on television. Singer, songwriter, storyteller, amazing human being. Um, and everybody should know about Buffy. And so now you can watch the American Master Series on Buffy St. Marie. It's uh, on PBS now. 
Oh, awesome. Nice. Awesome. So I know uh, I know our department, several of the ladies were huge fans of yours. And uh, Lisa Sherman, who wasn't here today, Sky mm-hmm. Holmes. Um, and if you may close us out just to help with an I, I, I did have enough. I was brazen enough to have a little debate at lunch. Uh, oh, maybe my. you could because <laughs> if you say then it's going to be true, I think. So do you consider Kool-Aid flavored water? Or a juice, because you said no. Wait, mm. just is it flavored water? Sky wanted. Sky wanted. She just definitely wanted a shout out here. Okay, so Kool Aid. Let me tell you my personal interpretation of Kool Aid. We were so poor, and as Oprah would say, we were so poor. Poor. We couldn't so afford po. the po. Po. We were so poor that we didn't have sugar. So my mom would make Kool Aid without sugar, and she would always say, "Do you want Kool Aid or do you want water?" And I'm like. I'll just take the water. <laughs> because we had no, we had sugarless Kool-Aid growing up. So there you have it. <laughs> and I'm going to, I'm going to tell Lisa and Sky, you said hi. <laughs> yes, and thank you for the uh, invitation. Yeah. To the chat they, they were, they're today. huge fans. And uh, I know Lisa would, yeah, would love definitely. to have joined us today, but uh, she, she wasn't, she wasn't in. Next time. Yeah. Next, next time. time we have you yeah. on. Yeah, for sure. Next time. Yeah, thank Definitely. you very much for taking the time. I appreciate it, and uh, keep on keeping on, and 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 uh, uh, give those uh, students our our love and our and our uh, respect. And you tell them that that they got the world behind them, and uh, and they make us proud. That's right, Nashun Lovek. Nashun Lovek, Mew. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take it easy. Bye. Thank you for listening to the What About Life podcast from Indian Health Council. Please take a moment and make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss a single new episode. The views and opinions expressed by those interviewed on the What About Life podcast, including all program participants, are solely their own current opinions regarding events and are based on their own perspective and opinion. It is the opinion and perspective of the interviewees and the hosts. Such views, opinions, and or perspectives are intended to convey a life story or based on recollections about events in their lives on which conflicting memories may exist and are not intended to malign any individual, religion, ethnic group, or company. The views and opinions expressed do not reflect the views or opinions of Indian Health Council, Inc., or the companies with which any program participants, interviewees are or may be affiliated. The What About Life podcast is a production of the Health Promotions and Marketing Department at Indian Health Council and is funded through the Prevention and Early Intervention Program from the County of San Diego HHSA Mental Health Services Act. What About Life is produced and edited by David S. Dawson. This episode of What About Life is the copyright of Indian Health Council, Inc. The San Diego Access and Crisis Line is your suicide intervention and prevention hotline. An Access and Crisis Line clinician will assess your situation for risk and safety through a series of questions and may refer to the mobile crisis response team or another resource as appropriate. MCRT dispatches behavioral health experts to emergency calls instead of law enforcement when appropriate. With teams made up of clinicians, case managers, and peer support specialists. The San Diego Access Crisis Hotline number is 1-888-724-7240. Hours of operation are 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Again, that number is one 888 724-7240 for the San Diego Access and Crisis Hotline.